In the times of the Tsar, the, the Tsar Nicholas, the, the second Tsar, there was a, a rule. In order for a Jew to live in Moscow, he needed a special permit, a residence permit. Most Jews were not allowed in Moscow. They were limited to where they can live. So two Jews were in walking the streets in Moscow. One of them had a permit, a residence permit, and one of them didn't. And suddenly they see a policeman approaching. So the guy, without the permit, tells his friend with the permit, start running. You run away. He says, me, I, I, have a, I have a permit. He says, well, when the guy will see you running, he'll start chasing you and I'll, and I'll get away. I don't have the permit. And that's what he does. He, the policeman gets a little closer. He picks himself up and he starts running away with the guy with the permit. So the policeman sees him and he starts chasing after the guy. And meanwhile, they turn the corner and the guy, without the permit, gets away. <coughs> He's chasing him down a couple of blocks. Finally, the policeman catches up to him and he says, Aha! I caught you! Where are your papers? And he pulls out his permit. He says, You have a permit, so why were you running away? He says, Well, I went to my doctor and my doctor told me after every meal I should uh, jog a couple of blocks. <laughs> So the policeman says, really? Well, how come you saw me chasing you, right? You saw me that I was chasing you. So he says, yeah, I figured you went to the same doctor. In <laughs> 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 this week's Parsha, the Parsha of Toldos, we also have somebody running away from somebody that's trying to kill him. The beginning of the Parsha, this is Parsha's Toldos, Parsha number... Six, oh, sorry. Parsha number six from Genesis. Parsha's told us, which means children. <coughs> talks about, excuse me, talks about the birth of twins. Special, the first, the first pair of twins, I believe, that's recorded, at least. And let's see what happens to them. Pass this around this way. So source number one, we learned in previous portions, we had learned about Abraham and Sarah, we had the story of the binding of Isaac, so we know he has a son Isaac, and now after the story of the Akedah, we know Sarah passed away, and Isaac was 40 years old, and he's ready to get married. Avram dispatches, dispatches his servant Eliezer to go find a wife for his son Isaac. He finds Rivka, Rebekah, brings her back to Israel, and source one, the beginning of this week's Torah portion, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to himself for a wife. Rebecca, his wife, conceived and the children struggled within her. What does it mean the children struggled within her? So first of all, she was pregnant with twins. And what does it mean they were struggling? They were arguing with each other. The Midrash explains, that, explains what these words mean. Source 2. Whenever she would pass a house of prayer or house of study, even back then, there were houses of study, of Torah study, houses of prayer, even maybe they weren't Jewish, but they were followers of Abraham and Sarah, and they believed in, in one God, and they would pray. So whenever she would pass by such a house, Jacob would struggle to come out, and uh, come out from her womb. And when she passed the house of idol worship, Esau, which was the other boy, his twin brother, would struggle to come out. So they were struggling. Who? What's the truth? Is, is inside the womb they were already arguing. They were fighting with each other. Eventually, she gives birth, and the Torah tells us source three: the first one emerged ruddy. He was red-haired, red-skinned. He was completely like a coat of hair, and they named him Esau. I'm going to call him Esav. In Hebrew, we say Esav. Esav literally means made complete. He was born complete. He was. Full, you know, hairy, and he just looked older than a newborn. So he was called Esau, and he was born red. 
And afterwards, his brother emerged, and his hand was grasping Esau's heel, and he named him Jacob. Who named him Jacob? Rashi, commentary brings from Midrash. His father called him Jacob because of the holding of the heel. So Jacob was, came out second, but he was holding on to Esau's heel. And the word Yaakov, Jacob in Hebrew is Yaakov, and Yaakov means heel. Akev, Akov means a heel. And because Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel when he was coming out, so his father named him Yaakov. So they were born, they grew up, source 4, t- source <coughs> four tells us, the youths grew up, they turned 13, and Asa was a man who understood hunting, a man of the field, whereas Jacob was an innocent man, dwelling in tents. What does it mean, dwelling in tents? Again, Rashi brings to us from the Midrash, the houses of study of Shem and Eber. Shem was, the oldest, was one of the sons of, of Noah, Eber was his great-grandson, and they were scholars, rabbis, if you can say, teachers, and they had houses of study, and that is where Yaakov, that is where Jacob spent his time. Esav, on the other hand, was not studious, and on the contrary, was rebellious. He was hunting, not just hunting animals, it says he was hunting women from their husbands. It says he wasn't the best kind of man. That's the story, and then the Torah describes what happened between Jacob and between Yaakov and Esau? Jacob and Esau. His father, their father Isaac, wanted to bless Esau because he was the older one, and Jacob's mom Rivka, Rebecca, wanted that Yaakov, the younger one, wanted to get the blessings. She thought he was more worthy, and without going into all the details, Isaac sent Esau out to prepare him a meal. Meanwhile, Jacob you know, put on uh, fur on his hands and dressed up like his brother and he went in and he got the blessings from his father Isaac. When Asa returned, he figured out what happened. He missed out on the blessings and he hated, as the Torah says, he did not like his brother Jacob for doing that. He wanted to kill him and Jacob had to run away. Jacob had to run away from home. He was away from home for 22 years. And we'll learn that next week what happened how Jacob was away, he was working, and where he got married, and so on. Those are the two brothers. The two brothers, the twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. So let me ask you a few questions. Does anyone have any questions on this story so far? We're ready for the questions. Yaakov was the tzad, it was the good man, if you can say, and Esau was... Not such a good man. So, number one, what kind of significance is there to the fact that Jacob was holding on to the heel of his brother Esau? It's so important that his father named him because of that. And the Torah makes mention of it. The Torah has to point out why he was called that. His father called him that. Like, what, why, are, why are these details important? Okay, he was born. It happened sometimes. The babies are in there. I don't know. I, I'm not, uh, I never delivered of twins, but there was a, he was holding on to, the, to, to his heel. Okay? Why is that so significant that the Torah has to record it? And that's his name. You know, the name of somebody shows on what they're all about. The second question is, <laughs> if God really wanted that Jacob should get the blessings, he should have made him the oldest one. Isaac wanted to bless Esau because he was older and usually the older one gets gets a you know a double portion gets more blessings so why did God make Esau be born first and then Jacob had to get the blessings had to struggle and argue with him and figure it out how to get the blessing and Esau had to hate him right we missed that part he sold in the birthright but why do you have to go through why do you have to buy the birthright from him and then try to get the blessing because he really bought the birthright God could have just made him be born first he could have been the older one Especially the way the Midrash tells us that Jacob was technically created first. Because it brings an, an example. If you, put, um, if you put a ball, two balls in a cup, right? The, the first ball goes lower and the second ball goes higher. Which one is going to come out first? The one that went in second. So Jacob was technically created from a seed that went in first. Esau came second, but he came out first. 
So if he was created first, he should have been born first. How do they figure all this biology out? <clears throat> Met a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the second question. Why? What's the significance of Jacob being born second? Let's continue a little bit. Two more sources. It's actually from a parsha in, in two weeks, but it has to do with this idea. Later on, the Torah describes a somewhat kind of uh, I don't know, interesting encounter. <coughs> Sorry, Jacob ran away from <coughs> Esau. And at a certain point, he met the angel of Esau. Source 5, the Torah tells us, Jacob was left alone, and a man, he was away from his family, and a man wrestled with him until the break of dawn. And he saw that he could not prevail against him. This man who was wrestling with him saw that he cannot win over Yaakov. He was, the whole night he was trying to rest, get him, win over him, and he could not prevail. Who was this man? Yeah. Rashi brings us from the Midrash. It was a man, but he was representing the angel. It was an angel which came as a man. He was the ministering angel of Esau. Esau was not just a single man. He represented a whole nation. We'll see the, the Romans, the Edomites come from Esau. And whatever that means, I won't get into that right now. Every, every nation has a, has a representative, if you can say, up there in heaven. The 70 nations. And the ministering angel of Esau, which I guess wasn't the best kind of angel, if you can say, whatever that means, he was trying to win over Yaakov. That's what the Torah tells us. And when he could not prevail against him, source 6, he said, this angel man tells Jacob, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Israel, Israel. I think we have an Israel here in our class today. Because... You have wrestled with an angel of God and with men, and you have prevailed. So he calls him Israel, because the word Israel, well, there's various ways of translating this verse in the, in the Torah, but I'm giving you one, one translation based on a few of the commentaries, because you have wrestled. In Hebrew, the word Yisrael comes from the word of re wrestling. That's the word in uh, one of the words. A few words, one of the, the words of arguing with... <coughs> <clears throat> Israel means Sarisa, you argued, you wrestled. And therefore your name, because you wrestled with, with an angel, so your name is going to be Israel. And from then in the Torah, sometimes it's called Jacob and sometimes it's called Israel. The Jewish people are known as the sons of Israel, B'nai Israel, the land of Israel is called Israel because of that. So here's another question. Because he wrestled with Esau, right? We, we have in our, in our parsha how he's wrestling with Esau. He tries, he's wrestling in the, in the womb. They're already wrestling and with the, with the birthright and the blessings. They're wrestling. And here again, he's wrestling with the angel of Esau. So did the angel win over him? Who won the fight? Jacob won. He tried, this guy tried to start up with him. He could not prevail again, over him. So what should his name be? His name should be the word in Hebrew, which means prevailed. The last word. And you have prevailed, which in Hebrew is vatuchal. And you prevailed over him. Why is he called wrestling? He's trying to, he should bring out his victory. He should be called a, a name, a word, which is associated with victory, winning over, strength. Instead, his name is Yisrael, which means wrestling. Because you have wrestled with an angel of God and with man, you have prevailed. So if you're trying to bring out that I've prevailed, then call me something which means prevailed. Israel means the fact that I'm wrestling. Wrestling means that you're in the middle of an argument. You have somebody fighting against you. That's question number three. Maybe we're always wrestling and we haven't got rid of anti-Semitism. You're on the right track. And not only that, you dislocated his hip. To remind him. Mm-hmm. And what was that angel's name? The Torah says, Jacob asked him his name and he said, I'm not telling you. Right. Do we know? No. To this day, we don't know. I don't believe so. Because remember you said the angel who uh, stepped in 
from the binding was right. Gabrielle? Yeah, this angel, I don't, I don't think it's... So we never know his name. I don't think so. Okay. Let's move on to another story. With one more question, and then we'll get into the meat of this lesson. We, we, we did, the week of the first portion, Bereshis, portion Genesis of the book of Genesis, we, we did not have a class that week. <coughs> it was right after the holidays. But there, there is a, the story of the creation of man. On the sixth day of creation, Adam and Eve were created, and they were created on a Friday. And what happened on that day? What was Adam and Eve, what were they told? Some special commandment. Source 7. Torah tells us, The Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge, Eitz Hadas in Hebrew, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. They were living in a garden, lots of fruits, trees, and they were told, one tree, you shall refrain, restrain yourselves from eating, not, not to eat from this tree, from the fruits of the tree. Adam and Eve were commanded. But the serpent, the snake, uh, without getting into all the details, convinced the woman to eat from the tree. And source 8, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a light to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took of its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. How do you, how do you spell knowledge? God. How do you spell it? Dalit? Das? Yeah. Dalit Ayin? Da? Saf. Now, <clears throat> was Adam restricted... Was the prohibition of eating from this tree, was it a prohibition forever, for the rest of his life? Or it was a temporary prohibition? What do you think? How do we know? I believe prohibition for his life, I believe. Because I don't recall ever God saying, you can't eat for this amount of period, I don't know. So, the, the, the truth is... The truth is that the Midrashim, the Midrash tells us that the prohibition was only for three hours. He was created on Friday afternoon. Let's look on source 9. The day on which Adam was created consisted of 12 hours. The ninth hour, he was commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge. The tenth hour, he sinned. The eleventh hour, he was judged. And the twelfth hour, he was banished from the Garden of Eden. And that's when Shabbos came in. The Midrash tells us that for three hours he was told, that, uh, there's different opinions what the tree of knowledge was. It was definitely not an apple tree, but there were opinion, our opinions that it was a grapevine, and he was going to use, supposed to use those grapes to squeeze, to make wine and make Kiddush on it, Friday night, once sundown comes. But... The prohibition was only for three hours, from the ninth hour until the twelfth hour. He was told those for three out for those three hours he should refrain from eating from the tree. So how is it, Adam and Eve? You can imagine they were not. They were great people. They were handmade literally by God. God formed. A form of man from the earth and blew, an, uh, blew something into him, blew a soul into him. Eve was created, God was a, was a doctor and he, uh, he made a surgery on Adam and removed a side or a rib, whatever it is, and created her. They were handmade from God. They were holy people. They were of great stature. How is it that they could not refrain and control themselves for three hours? You know, we have the Torah, we, we, the Torah tells us not to eat certain things, and there are lots of people that their whole life they're not eating this, right? And here, for three hours, they had so many other things to eat. One tree, not to eat for three hours. They couldn't control themselves. I mean, what kind of people were they? Regular people. Regular people? Curious. If they were regular people, I think I could control myself not to eat from a tree for three hours. Well, we know this now, but they didn't know. They didn't know what? They didn't know that it was three hours. They knew it was three hours. He, he was told How to make... Hours he knew it was three hours. hours. Even if it wasn't for three hours, it's still a question. You could eat from everything else. You give it that... You put the 
candy there in front of the kid. You tell the kid you could eat everything. He wasn't a kid. He was a 20-year-old grown man. It seems to me a lot of people do that. They make up any reason. To but Adam was a special person. He was of great stature, especially according to the teachings of Kabbalah. He was the first soul, which, which, uh, you know, he was, wasn't a regular person. By tricksters and um, who was who was that person that influenced him? And, and then himself. So those are the four questions. Number one, why is it so significant that Jacob was holding his heel? Number two, why was Jacob created second? Number not first. Number three. Why is Jacob's name Israel, which means to wrestle, and not something which means to prevail? Number four, why couldn't Adam and Eve just control themselves for such a short time for just one fruit? A young boy came to the Lubavitcher Rebbe in 1954. <laughs> he was returning bar mitzvah. He was turning 13, turning bar mitzvah. And the Rebbe, it came to the Rebbe for a blessing. And the Rebbe asked him. He was an American boy. His name was Shimshon Stock. And the Rebbe asked him, do you enjoy playing sports? He says, yes. Well, what's your favorite sport? He said, baseball. Baseball. Do you play baseball? Yes, I play baseball with my friends. Do you ever go to the real games, the professional games, the big games? He says, yes, we go watch the games. The Rebbe asked him, what is the difference between your games that you play with your friends and the games that you play, that you go and watch? He says, Rebbe, when I play with my friends, it's just, you know, per play. But the big games, that's the real stuff, you know, it's a real game. The Rebbe told him, till now, the Rebbe said, in your heart, there's a big field. And there are two teams. There's the good inclination and the evil inclination. Till now, it was for play. Now that you're turning 13, you're turn, becoming bar mitzvah, now the game is for real. Now it's a real, now it counts. So what is this exactly? What are the two teams that we have inside of us? And what's the idea of this game? It was a man named Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. He's known as the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe. He was born in 1745, and he passed away in 1812. He's buried in Hadich. And... One of the most famous books of Hasidic thought was authored by him. He labored 20 years in preparing this book. His book was called the Tanya, published for the first time in 1796 and has since been reprinted thousands of times all over the world translated to uh, many, many languages. The Book of the Tanya. The main section of the Book of the Tanya is comprised of 53 chapters. Now, how many chapters are there in the Torah? In the five books of Moses, there's 53. Oh, I thought it was 54. Okay. 54, you can... I, I thought it was 54, too. It can be 54. Two of the portions are really one portion split in half. And really, this is looked at as like the Bible of Hasidic thought. There are so many books of Hasidus. We have of, it here. Yes, we have it. But this is looked at like the Bible. It, it's like an encyclopedia of Hasidic thought and a guide for life. In every Chabad yeshiva, this book is studied. In every Chabad community, this is studied just like we study the Parsha every week. We study a chapter of the Tanya. And we complete it every year. Many have a custom before their bar mitzvah to study the first 12 chapters of Tanya. And some do it by heart. 
in my family, my father made us do that. Wow. Study uh, 12 chapters of Tanya, you know, word for word. And just to be ingrained, the words should be ingrained in your mind. And you should be able to think of those words wherever you are, even if you don't have a phone and you're in the street, or even if it's Shabbos, you could just think of the, the ideas taught in these fundamental 12 chapters. So today, you'll look at some quotes, some excerpts from the Tanya, which really lays out for us the life, the kind of life that, uh, that we live in and we're meant to live. And it's a deep concept, and there is so, so much to talk about. We're just getting the idea. So if you have questions, we can talk about it after. <laughs> just a little taste of the idea of Tanya. So the Rebbe was right. Inside of us, there is a field, and there are two teams. Source 10. Every Jew possesses two souls. One originates in non-holiness, and from it stems all of the evil. The second soul of the Jew is truly a part of God above. We have two souls. We always talk about our neshama. That usually refers to the second soul, the godly soul. But we have two souls inside of us. We have what's known as the animal soul, for whatever reason. It's called the animal soul. Animating soul, the soul that makes us our heart pump, the soul that is just who we are. And that soul we get as soon as we're born. As soon as we're born, the body is alive, there's a soul. That soul is selfish. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that it thinks about itself. Like a baby. A baby is only thinking about itself. It doesn't care that a mother and the father are trying to sleep at night. It's tired. It's hungry. It cries. Right? And as they grow, they get a little mature. And then the godly soul comes in. We'll see when exactly. The godly soul is different. Let's see in Source 11. The godly soul has no desires of its own. It only wants to do God's will. The godly soul comprehends and desires true goodness and desires nothing for itself in return. True goodness, not because I want to do good, not because of the benefits, just because it's good. Whereas the animal soul is drawn toward the concrete and the physical, the godly soul seeks the spiritual and abstract. Whereas the animal soul is only concerned with instant gratification, the godly soul is drawn, drawn toward that which is eternal. So a mitzvah is maybe not something physical that you can tap and see and enjoy right away, but it's something that the soul understands. This is eternal. This is something important. This is godly. In other words, the animal soul that we have, we'll call the animal soul, our natural soul, sometimes it's called the living soul, the soul that makes us live, that is selfish. A self is selfish. A Jew is Jewish. The soul is, that's what makes the self, makes the person, so he thinks about himself selfish. And the godly soul is the one that is selfless, is godly, is just out to do what is right and God's will. And every person possesses these two souls. Source 12, the body is called a small city. Just as two kings wage war over a city which each wishes to capture and rule, so do the two souls wage war against each other over the body. The body and everything that goes along with the body, the things that the person can do, his speech, his thought, each of these souls are fighting over the body. The godly soul's desire is that it, it alone rule and direct the person. And the animal soul desires the very opposite. So the animal soul wants the person to enjoy itself as much as possible. Right? And if it wants to say gossip, come on, it's enjoyable to say gossip. Everyone's going to enjoy themselves. And if it's nice to keep your money for yourself because you'll be able to buy a nicer house, then go ahead and think uh, thoughts that may, be not, that may be improper because it's, it's enjoyable, it's fun, it's pleasurable. And the godly soul will say, maybe it's more comfortable for you and you, it's enjoyable, but that's not what God wants. That's not the correct thing to do. We have to give some charity. We need to be careful the way we speak. We have to think only proper things. So they're constantly arguing, right? They're struggling. They're, they're, this is the, the field is the body and the person, and the two souls are arguing. 
the oh, Alter Rebbe's teacher was the Magid of Mezrich. So one Chassid came to him saying, I can't control my thoughts. Thoughts come into my mind, all kinds of improper thoughts, and I just can't control it. I can control what I do, I can control what I say, but my mind, I can never, you know, turn it off. It's always going, it's always rolling. Thoughts are flowing. I can't control what I, what I think. So the Magid said, go visit my disciple Rabzev of Zhitomer in Ukraine. And you'll get an answer over there. He travels in the bitter cold winter, he travels to the city of Zhitomer and he finds late at night and it's snowing and it's freezing cold and finally he gets to the house and he, it's the middle of the night, but he's happy to see that the light is on, there's a fire burning and the man is up and he knocks on the door and he's waiting, but Rebzev doesn't open the door. And he's knocking and knocking and nobody's answering. He peeks through the, the, the window or the hole and he sees the man is sitting right there with his books and he's studying and he's knocking and saying, don't you hear me? I'm right here. It's freezing cold outside. Hours go by and the man doesn't pay any attention to the knocking. Finally, after a couple hours, the sun goes up and he opens the door for him and he welcomes him inside, gives him a room and gives him to eat, <coughs> gives him a comfortable stay. After, uh, you know, the man <laughs> recuperates and comes to himself, he asks him, he tells him, the Magid sent me to you to help me with this problem. And he says, I already taught you the lesson. You came to my house, you were knocking on the door, you were freezing cold outside, and I didn't let you inside. You were knocking, but I said, this is my house, I am in control, who comes into the house? You can knock on the door, you can want to come in, I'm in control. The thoughts can come knocking on your door. They can say, hey, why don't you think about me? And why don't you think about me? But you have the ability to push away those thoughts and not to entertain those thoughts. You can push them away. You can't control who comes knocking at your door. We, we, we see things, we hear things, and thoughts come up to our minds. But we have control to continue thinking about that thing, to entertain that thought. That we have full control over. may not be easy, but we have control. And source 13, the Alter Rebbe describes the average person, how he should live. Although the godly soul does not, up, does not hold undisputed sovereignty over the small city, right? He can't stop them from knocking on the door. He can't stop the impulses and the urges to be selfish. Nevertheless, the animal soul is unable to implement its desires by clothing itself in the limbs of the body because the brain naturally rules the heart. So the animal soul is constantly, every day, the animal soul is pushing the person. Don't, it's raining outside. Why are you going to go learn Torah? It's more comfortable to stay at home. But Jody will tell you that the godly soul will say, well, I need to study Torah. I need to do a mitzvah. I want to connect to God, right? It may be, it may be raining. Maybe not be uncomfortable. So the godly soul will say, be selfish. I'm sorry, the animal soul will be, do what's more comfortable, do what's good for yourself. And the godly soul will say, do what's right. Sometimes godly soul wins. Sometimes the other soul wins. But the perfect person, if you can say, the, the, the best, what we have to strive for is we can't get rid of those impulses, those urges to be selfish. That is who we are. And, you know, apply it to any case. Someone comes to ask for charity and we can say, hey, why doesn't he go work or he's not deserving of it? I don't know. Or I can give all kinds of excuses or I can say, this man is here. Give him something. Right? Give him something. So, not in every case, right? But just an example. And the same thing with a thought. We can, we can think about what's good for us. <coughs> so that we can't control the urge. We can control the expression. We can, we can control that that urge should not be implemented in us, in the body, in the field. And we naturally have that, we, we, have, we have that naturally. Man was so created from birth that every person may, with the power of the will in his brain, restrain himself and control the drive of his heart's lust, preventing his heart's desires from finding expression in deed, word, 
or thought, meaning to entertain the thought. That is the description of life, the way the Alter Rebbe lays it out. That we cannot control, if we have these impulses, these urges to do bad, that does not mean you're a bad person. That means that you have a bad soul, you have a selfish soul. But we also have another side to us, we also have a godly soul. And we're always going to have this struggle, this conflict. And this, in the Kabbalah, is called Yaakov and Esav. Just as Jacob and Esau were twin brothers that struggled with each other, Jacob went to the house of study and Esau was worshipping idols, we have that inside of us. We have in each of us, just like in Rebecca's womb they were arguing, inside of us we have this struggle. We have the godly soul, which is Jacob, and we have the animal soul, which is Esau. And each has a different agenda. And they're all, they're both struggling and waging war at each other to control the person, each of us. When, when you say the Alter Rebbe, that, that's the original, the first? Chabad Rebbe, yes. Oh. Rabbi Schneer Zalman. What do they call the, the, the ones before Schneerson? Is there a title? The Magad of Mizrich and the Baal Shem Tov was his. No, 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 no. The, I, the, there were five Lubavitcher Rebbe's. Right? There were seven Lubavitch Rebbe's and before him was the Mizritcher Magid and the Baal Shem Tov. No, 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 no. Before this... Before, uh, the, our Rebbe, the, no, the previous the Rebbe, the pre he's known as the previous Rebbe or the Rebbe Rayatz, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak. He was known as the previous Rebbe. In Yiddish, Rebbe. We, yeah, we say the Freer Dike Rebbe. Free, uh, the, the, the Freer Dike, yeah, 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 I, I'm right. Source 14. Impulsive thoughts of sin can manage to rise to his mind. However, he will not entertain them willingly. No sooner does it arise than he... Thrust it aside with both hands. He's ready. He's ready to combat the animal soul. He's ready to combat Esau. Source 15. Everyone is given the choice, ability, and freedom to act, speak, and think as he chooses, even when it is diametrically opposed to the desire of his heart. So if somebody has a bad thought, a bad urge, a bad impulse, that does not mean that he's a bad person. I'm not sure if every uh, modern psychology agrees with this, but this is the teaching of the Tanya. We have inside of us two parts. We have an animal soul and we have a godly soul. And this is what life is about. Life is about overcoming the struggle, overcoming the animal soul, and trying to win the war always, as much as possible. And it is possible to be perfect, but that's you know a great person, to be always perfect, always uh, overcoming uh, these desires. In other words, our essence <coughs> we cannot change, generally. We cannot change our essence. But we could, we could control the expression of our essence. We cannot let our evil essence of the animal soul to take control over our life. Now, why would God do such a thing? Why would He make us struggle every day? Because we need struggles in life. We need tests. We have always, what else are we doing in a circle? We're not tested. Okay, just make everything perfect. But then we would be angels. If we were perfect, we'd be angels. Mm -hmm. To be able to elevate yourself, to choose good over evil. That's right. The Hebrew word for rest, wrestling is avak. Avak means to wrestle. Vaye avek. When it says Jacob wrestled with the angel of avak, means to wrestle. And the word for a torch of light is avuka. The same letters. When we wrestle, when we have a struggle that reveals within us the light, reveals within us. Such a deep level in order to overcome the struggle. And going back to the game, does anyone play soccer? Let's say, let's pick soccer against themselves. No, it would be much easier. Come on, you want to get the ball in the net, so just, just play by yourself. Just play one team. Why, why you have another team? Right? If the goal is to get the ball in the net, then just make one goal, play one team at a time, and everyone will have so much fun. No, it's not going to be fun. It's only fun when there is someone opposing you. When there is a defense and the offense and you have to get, you know, 
strength, become stronger over them, overcome the struggle, then you're victorious over them, then you get a medal. Then it's worthy, then it's fun, then it's, then it's uh, pleasurable. If everything is just smooth, then you don't even play so hard. It's easy to get the ball in the net. When there is a team against you, then you figure out all the tricks and you do everything and you train to go fast and this and that and you become a stronger, a better athlete. You become better at the game because there's someone up against you. You become stronger. You become a torch when there's someone wrestling with you. <coughs> and the world... <coughs> is round just like a soccer ball. Just like a ball is round, the globe is the world. And each of us are a small world. And, e and our job is, in life is to play the game of soccer, to take the world, take our world, and put it into the right net. There's two teams there. There's the good team and there's the bad team. There's a team that wants to take the world and make it a selfish, self-centered, physical, uh, pleasurable world, pleasurable in a, in a not good way, right? And that is in us, represented by the animal soul. And then there's the good team. There's the, the godly soul, which is taking, which is uh, agenda is to take the ball, take the world, take ourselves, and put it into the other net. Put it, put it into the goal of of of, of goodness, of kindness, for a Jew to do Torah and, to, and do mitzvahs. We have this struggle. And when there is an opposing team, there is God created us with the animal soul. And we overcome this struggle, at least, not at least, to, it, we overcome the essence, our evil essence, if you can say, and don't let it express itself in our life, in our speech, thought, and action, that is winning. We didn't change, we didn't get the team off the court, that's not the point. The point is not to get the, the, the opposing team off the court, not to kill them. The point is to fight them and not let them get the ball in our net, in the other net. Not to eliminate them, <coughs> at least for most of us. There is such a thing called a tzaddik. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's why Esau's team is still fighting with each other amongst all its tribes. <coughs> yeah, we'll get back to Esau in a second. But there is such a person called a tzaddik, which he is sort of gifted by God, that his, his evil essence is totally gone. He doesn't have those bad impulses. But for most of us, and I would say every single person living in the world today, we do have these impulses. Maybe we can tweak them a little bit, but generally we cannot get rid of them fully. What we could do is learn the trick of control. And we have that naturally in us. Our brains, when our brains are developed enough, we could control our natural and selfish instincts. How old? We'll get to that in a second. Okay. Source number 16. I'll tell you a little story for, first. So a man <coughs> had the, the big uh, lo uh, lottery, was last week, two weeks ago. A man in the shtetl, old little town, wins the lottery. He wins the lottery. What do they give him? A pot full of gold. That was, that's the way it worked back then. Guy was so poor, <clears throat> he had to hire, he had to walk down to <coughs> to the big city <coughs> to to uh, collect his pot of gold. He sees this big pot of gold. <laughs> he can't even carry it. He has so <coughs> now he has some money. <coughs> and he's able to hire a wagon driver. To take him and his pot of gold back to his little town. Heavy pot of gold, puts it down on the wagon, sits down there. And uh, they're traveling, they're traveling home. In the middle, and they get a little tired. So they stop <coughs> in the forest. They stop Please for a... Uh, out of the wagon. Lama go ahead. <coughs> they stop for a little... <coughs> <coughs> stop for a little nap. They uh, park in a safe, they think it's a safe place. They go out, the wagon driver and the man, take a little schluff, take a little nap, and they, and they get back in. They get back into the wagon. <coughs> they continue traveling, 
And suddenly, the wagon driver turns around and he says, um, Sir, I think somebody stole a pot of gold. It's not there. I guess it was under, you know, in the compartment. Excuse me. Huh? Maybe it's inside. Hmm? So, of course, the man gets very suspicious. So the, how does the wagon driver know what's going on? He goes, hey, you must be the, the thief. Otherwise, how do you know? He says, no, I'm not the thief. He says, how do you know? He says, well, <clears throat> while we were driving, till we stopped, the horses were schlepping this wagon, and I was, I, I was able to see that they're struggling under the load. Now, since we... Since we uh, got back in, the horses are, are galloping, they're going really fast. So it must be that the pot of gold is not there, so the wagon is lighter and they can go faster. The heavier something is, the more precious it is, then it makes you go a little bit slower. You have a struggle. The horses were struggling to pull the wagon because it was heavy. If it's light, if there's nothing in there, you're not accomplishing any, you're not schlepping anything special, then you can go really fast. So yes, we don't need, God could have made us like angels. Angels can fly around, you know? But they're not accomplishing anything so special. A human being is put here for a purpose. We're here to accomplish something so great. And as a Jew, we're here to do a mitzvah, to, to do what's right. And when there's a struggle, when it's hard, we know we're accomplishing something really important. That's why it's hard. If it would be easy, yeah, things that are easy, you know, that comes easy, then it goes easy. It goes away easy. When we see a struggle, when we feel that we have a struggle within us, that's because what we are, when we do uh, overcome the struggle, we're accomplishing something great and important. Source 16. One should not feel depressed or very troubled at heart, even if he be engaged all his days in this conflict. For perhaps this is what he was created for. And this is the service demanded of him. To subdue the evil inclination constantly. That's the purpose of life. If a person is not a tzaddik, then this is who we're meant to be. We're meant to constantly have this struggle. To constantly overcome the impulses of, the, of, of, our, of ourselves. Source 17. The Zohar, book of Kabbalah, extols the divine satisfaction that occurs when the evil inclination is subdued here below, for thereby God's glory rises above all, more than by any other praise. And this ascent is greater than all else. We accomplish, God has pleasure, if you can say, when, when the winning team wins, when there's a struggle and we overcome the struggle, that brings God pleasure. Source 18, the Torah tells us in the book of Job, because man is born for trouble. Man is born to work hard, to toil, to overcome the struggle. And in, in Mishnah and Ethics of Our Fathers, according to the pain is the gain. When we have pain and we have a struggle and, we, and we, it's not easy and we overcome the struggle, then there's a gain. Then we are accomplishing something. We are doing what's right. Abaye, a man named Abaye was one of the great scholars of the Talmud. Abaye and Rava were a pair. They lived in Babylon, Babylonia. And Abaye was a great man, a great Torah scholar, one of the most names most mentioned in the Talmud. Pious man. He once overheard a conversation. He heard a man telling a woman, let's rise early and let's go on the way together. This man and woman were not related, they were not married. And he figured they must, uh, they must be planning to sin together. So he decided he's going to watch them, he's going to follow them. And he followed them from afar, he saw them walking together and for a long time and they did not do any, uh, you know, engage in any improper behavior. And when he saw, that, well, he, then he saw that the man, uh, you know, told the woman, it was nice spending time with you and, you know, they left, they, they parted ways. And Abaya felt really bad. He said, if I would have been that man, I would not be able to control my temptation, you know, in a private area with, with, uh, um, and uh, he felt bad that this person, you know, this man or woman didn't sin, and, and he felt he would have sinned. And then a man came and told him the following, source 19, anyone who is greater than another 
his evil inclination is greater than his. So it's not to say that if someone struggles, that means that he is not a good person. He's not a great person. The greater a person is, the more he struggles. Because the, the more gold is in the pot, then the harder the horses are going to work to schlep it. If he's a greater person, when he accomplishes something and does it in a great way, it's going to be harder for him. It's going to be a greater struggle. And because you, Abaya, are so great, yeah, you are very tempted. But you also have the greater ability to overcome it. But it's a great temptation. They say the, there was a, a chassid, a disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, who was a poor man, and he wanted to buy a nice esrog for sukkahs. That's what he wanted to do. But he was so poor, he had a wife and children to feed. And a whole year he was saving up. I'm not sure if I told the story once. A whole year he was saving up to buy this esrog. Every day he would put away, you know, a kopeck here, a couple of pennies. And put together, at the end of the year he had a sizable sum to buy a nice esrog. And he came to the esrog dealer and the guys, he knew he was a poor man and he was showing in, you know, the cheap stuff. And he's like, no, I want to buy something really nice. And he buys a beautiful esrog. And he gives the money. He had to travel a long way to, to get this, uh, you know, in, in bad weather. And he had to work really hard, put in lots of effort to be able to fulfill the mitzvah of having a beautiful fruit. Even though he can get a cheaper one, he wanted to have a beautiful one. He came home and his wife saw that he bought this beautiful esrog. She knew how much it costs. And she got so mad at him. Here, we're suffering with the kids. We, you know, we, we have a whole list. We have clothes to buy, more food and everything, to fix our house. And you just take the money and you use it for the estrogue. She was so mad. She, in, the, you know, in the moment, she took the estrogue and she bit off the pitam. Pitam is the little branch on top. And if that is, falls off, it's invalid. Can't fix it. It's, it's, it's non-kosher. What do you think? His name was David. What do you think his reaction was? His reaction was, God, I guess I'm not worthy to have such a beautiful esrog. And the Baal Shem Tov said the story, uh, bring, in teaching his students, teaching his disciples, that maybe his first impulse, his first thought was to, I don't know what, if his wife shouldn't walk out alive, or, you know, really give it to her. And he could have been really mad. He could have at least been mad himself. And he could have had bad thoughts. How could God do this? And could have said things and done all kinds of things. But he had the control. He, had the, he was able to control uh, that impulse. And that was special to Hashem. That is special. When we control ourselves. When there's another team. And we are victorious. We overcome the other team. That is what's special. And you know, we can't run away from the game. Going back to the boy, he might, uh, he might be a fan of one of the teams, right? But what happens if he's a fan of the Yankees and the Yankees are doing bad? Game after game, they're striking out. What do you do? You pick another team. You, know, you don't go for a losing team if they keep losing, no? I mean, I'm not a sports fan, but I... No? Yankee fans okay, Yankee. You gotta be loyal. Exactly, you gotta be loyal. Number 16... Mets fans. <laughs> That's, you're right. You got to be loyal. But the team, the, the, the Yankee players, the ones that are on the team, they can lose game after game. But if they're on the team, they got to stay, right? They're in the game. So when we turn 13 and we're all 13 and, and 12 for a girl, once we turn bar and bas mitzvah, we're in the game. We're in the game. And maybe... Sometimes we strike out. That's that's okay. We strike out, and we and the the other team wins wins over us. That doesn't mean that we abandon the game. We're in the game. We're not a fan. We are. It's not it's not playtime. We're not kids. This is the real game, and every every game is a new chance to win. Sometimes there's a better teams playing us. Sometimes it's not such a big struggle. Depending, uh, you know, each person is different, but the game is on, and the game is on for life. And we hope that we win the game. At the end, we have more, uh, you know, more points than the other team. But that's what we have to strive for. And that is what life, that is what life is about. You know, there ever once <coughs> told somebody, how much does a 
the most expensive picture. How much did it sell for? $250 million. Incorrect. Picture, not a painting. Oh. Picture and a painting. I actually, after I heard this story, I checked it up. As of yesterday, the most expensive picture that was sold was, I think, $6 million. It's a picture in a, in like a store, or whatever, you know, things being sold in the store. Look it up. The most expensive picture is about $6 million. How much is the most, was the most expensive painting sold for? About $450 million. Why is that? The picture is more perfect. It's real. It's a, it's a real picture. The painting is not, can't be perfect. It's, it, after all, it's a painting. So why wouldn't the picture be, it's, it's more accurate, right? Why? Because a picture takes a second or takes much less time to, to make, but a painting takes talent, not just talent, but takes lots of effort and time. It's much more valuable. When things are skill, when things are easy, then it's worth less. If it's hard and there's a struggle and we overcome it, then it's worth a lot more. And not always are we perfect. Another Hasidic expression is that a Hasid is a is a um, a Hasid is not a uh, not a portrait. It's not a picture. A picture is perfect. Some people are just perfect, you know, but we're not perfect. A chassid is someone who's alive. And when you're alive, sometimes this happens, sometimes that happens. But you're a living person, not always perfect. It's not always, you know what it's called, candid. Yeah? It's not always, on Facebook, everything is perfect. Everyone is having a great life. Everyone's kids are doing be amazing in school. Everyone's getting jobs. And everything is amazing, right? That's not life. That's uh, part of life, maybe, <laughs> or the way we project our, our life to the, to, the, to the world around us. The fact of life is that we struggle. We struggle with our decisions and we struggle in ourselves, you know, how, what to do and how to speak and how to think. Those are struggles. And that is what life is about. Doesn't mean that we're bad. And doesn't mean that we have to be perfect. We have to strive to be perfect in the expression our godly soul should find expression in our thought, speech, and action. Now let's get back. So we have Yaakov and Esav inside of us. So who's born first? Oh, that was the first, what was the first question? First question was, why was he holding his heel? Exactly that. Jacob was trying to overcome Esav. He was trying to subdue the, the evil inclination. At least this is the idea, the way Hasidic thought teaches this. The Torah is telling us, Yaakov and Esau, the Torah is not just telling us a nice story of history, how they were born, a nice, nice story, you know, not every person that gave birth to her tells us how it happened. The Torah is telling us that Jacob and Esau inside of us, Jacob from birth, Jacob <coughs> is ha has his hand over the heel of Esau, trying to subdue him, trying to control him, not letting him express letting him his essence express itself and that's why Jacob was born second because naturally the animal soul comes in first and the godly soul comes in second even in Tanya it says the first soul is the animal soul the second soul is the godly soul when does the godly soul come in well we learned that by the bris it comes in right connected to number eight that's when it begins to come in if you remember the wording there and it comes in completely source 20 the major entry of the holy soul into a man is completed <laughs> when he reaches 13 years and into a woman when she reaches 12. this is why at the time at that time they're obligated by scriptural law to observe mitzvahs and are considered to be a punishable age why why at 13 do they get punished? Why don't you punish a child that's 10 that uh, make, uh, makes a prank on his teacher? Or, why, or, or does a, a sin? Why don't they get punished? At least really punished? Because they may know, does the child know that it's wrong? Yes, most children know that it's wrong to make fun of somebody or wrong to bully. Or they know that it's wrong. But we can't really punish them. We can't put them in jail. You know why? Because they don't, they're not developed properly, their brains are not developed, that they should be able to control their impulses. They're still a child, just like you don't punish a two-year-old for waking you up in the middle of the night, because they're just, they're still, they're, they're, they're still selfish, they're, they're still not developed enough to be able to control their natural instincts. 
So in Torah law, when we turn 13 or a girl is 12, we are capable, our godly soul is fully developed in us, and now the teams are equal, and now the godly soul has the ability to control and to subdue the animal soul, and if he doesn't, we're held liable. For a baby boy, if his godly soul comes in at the breast, what about the baby girl? When does her start? It starts at birth. Or maybe when she's named. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> but we, that's why 13-year-old, or, <coughs> right, in Torah law at least, is, is, is so one becomes bar mitzvah 13 or, or 12 because that is when they can become, they can, they have the ability. Till then it's a game. What did the rabbi tell the boy? Till now it was practice. They were playing. You know, if you lose, it's okay because you really don't have full control over yourself. Uh, under that age because your godly soul is not developed the team wasn't fully trained once we turn uh, Baron Bat Mitzvah we are fully trained we have full control to make the right decisions not always is easy but we have the ability to make those decisions that answers the first question and that answers the second question Jacob is born second it comes along second just like J Jacob and Esau in every person comes along second. We have to struggle to get the blessings. We have to work for it. It doesn't just come easy. You don't just get born first and you get everything. You got to work for it. You got to struggle. <coughs> so why was Jacob, after he, he wrestled with the angel, why was he called Yisrael, which means wrestling? Because it's not about victory. You're never going to fully conquer your essence and get rid of your bad impulses. That's who you are. Your name is going to be Yisrael, which means wrestling. That's your, the angel tells him, that's, that's what your life is going to be about. You had that till now, you wrestled with me. Maybe I won't be able to win over you every time, but I'm going to come back. I'm not going to get, the team is not off the field, the team is on the field. Aesop came back, and the next person, and the Greeks, and the Romans, anybody can come back at us. And inside of us, we always have that. We have those that are opposed to us, and there are people in the world that are opposed to goodness. That's the fact of the world, and we have to overcome the darkness. That's why, that's our name. Our name is Yisrael, according to one opinion, one way of translating it. We are here to wrestle. That's what we are. We are wrestlers. We are strugglers. And actually, the book of the Tanya, if you look at the front page, says the, the book for the average person, the book of for the strugglers, the book for those that have a conflict, and that is all of us. We have a constant conflict. And that's okay. It's okay to have that conflict. Source 21. Two kingdoms will separate from Inard. So uh, Rebecca had the, Rivka had these two boys inside of her. She didn't originally know that they were twins, and she was a little confused what's going on. So she went to, to the rabbi, the, the prophet at the time, and, and, and he told her, two kingdoms will separate from your innards, and one kingdom will become mightier than the other kingdom. What does it mean one will be mightier? The Talmud tells us when one rises, the other will fall. They will never both be equal. When one rises, the other will fall. The Jew, Yaakov and Esau. Jacob and Esau. What does that mean? What does that mean inside of us? Source 22. Light does not have to actively exert itself to disperse darkness. The darkness simply fades away. You don't come with a broom and sweep away the darkness. You light the candle and the darkness goes away. Similarly, as soon as we let the holiness and goodness of our divine soul shine by studying the Torah and observing the commandments, the selfishness of the animating soul disappears. We don't have to deal directly with our animal soul and take care of those urges and, and learn how to, when we study the Torah, when we add in goodness, we add in the light of Torah and, and, and the study of uh, and the fulfillment of mitzvahs, we add in light that helps us easily, easier, makes easier for us to control, to subdue our evil inclination. When it pops up, we have the Torah, we have a mitzvah, we have our values and our teachings in place. In short, source 23. The struggle, of, the struggle for self-mastery is primarily focused on making right decisions in the moment rather than direct attempts at alleviation of impulses and urges. That's not, that shouldn't be the focus of our battleground. The battle is making the right decision. Conflict at the level of impulse is part of the human condition. 
self-mastery on a behavioral level, how do we behave in our thought, that's a behavior, in our thought, in our speech, in our action, is within the potential of every person. Now, it's not easy. No one's saying it's easy. And in Source 24, there's a hymn that we say, a poem that we many sing on Motzei Shabbos, Saturday evening after Shabbos. And it goes like this. God said to Jacob, Do not fear my servant Jacob. God chose Jacob. Do not fear my servant Jacob. And it goes on more and more. On Shabbos, it's like a day of rest from the struggle a little bit. You're not so involved in the world and the struggle is not so hard. And after Shabbos, when we go back and we're ready to face the world, we sing the song, God said to Jacob, do not fear. Don't be scared of this war. Don't be scared. God chose Jacob. He chose Jacob. Jacob the wrestler. The one that struggles. God chose him. This is the what he created. He created us for. To live in the struggle and to, <coughs> and to constantly push away those bad impulses. What, what, what is Let's the, go back to answer the question. What is the beginning <coughs> of the hymn for Moses Shabbat? That's how it goes. Amar Hashem Le'Yakov Al Tirav Yaakov. Something like that. Bachar Hashem Le'Yakov Okay, thank you. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure if it's in every Siddur, but many Siddurs. We sing it. It's, an, it's a song that we sing. So going back to answer our fourth question, Adam and Eve, yeah, it was three hours. They were great people. But whoever is greater, one who is greater than another, their evil inclination is greater. You, we, if we would be in his shoes, I promise you, we would sin just like him. His temptation. I don't know if he was wearing shoes back then. <laughs> The temptation, I can say for myself, maybe if you were in his shoes, you wouldn't. The temptation of the time, maybe it was three hours, and it was one fruit, one tree, and, and great people. But obviously, it was such a heavy pot of gold that the evil inclination put up such a fight, such a temptation, that it was hard to, to control. And we think, how did the Jews in the desert, what kind of people were they? There were such complainers, you know, complaining, and Moses, and how did the people worship idols? I mean, come on, were they so stupid to bow down to a piece of wood? Obviously, at that time, the temptation was really strong for, for, to serve idols. And each person has their in evil inclination and what they uh, uh, struggle with. You know, sometimes we see something, how can he do that, you know? If we would have the same kind of struggle that that person has in that situation, maybe we would do the same. For him, the struggle is in that. You know, it's very hard for him to give charity. He's just, he likes to stick with his money. For you, you give charity, but it's very hard for you to, to study. Study the Torah. Right? And for him, that's very easy. Everybody has their evil inclination and their struggle. And that is the story of Jacob, Jacob and Esau. <clears throat> That's the story. That's good.